Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your grateful host, Kevin Miller. This is episode 479. And friends, if you have a product, a service, an idea, a business, this show is an, uh, literally an absolute must listen. And I'll tell you up front, you're going to want to share this with absolutely everyone you know who also has a product or service or idea or business or anybody you're in business with specifically. Christopher Lockhead is a business legend with Silicon Valley as his playground. And the strategy in his new book titled Play Bigger is one of the most significant business messages I've heard ever. It stopped me in my tracks and I have sent the book to countless people over the past 90 days or so. Just yesterday, I heard from a friend who is CEO of a revolutionary health insurance product uh, company that they stopped cold and are rerouting all their efforts around Christopher's strategy in this book. It's big news folks and is as relevant for your solopreneur business endeavor as it is for uh, Apple and Google and Uber. So strap yourself in for this one. You're what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind. You can change what you are. You can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. You cannot become what you need to be by remaining what you are. If you can't take a huge step to begin with, take as big a step as you can, but take it now. That's the key. Take it now. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Today's a brand new day, and it's yours. Okay, folks, the message from Christopher and his co-authors in Play Bigger eclipses how good your product or service or message or business is, and it eclipses your brand. I'll tell you what it is, but you're going to need to listen to the show to grasp it fully, but it's about category design. Uber, for example, is not a billion dollar business because it's revolutionary technology or it's a legendary brand. It created a new category of getting a ride on demand and you can create a new category and dominate it no matter what you do. And Christopher leads off the interview telling you how answering that question, but a quick story uh, to give you context here. I was at a small conference for top thought leaders and companies in the alternative medicine industry in San Francisco. Uh, just a few months ago, one of the speakers was one of Christopher's three co-authors and partners. Uh, and his name was Dave Anderson. He spoke on category design and we all received the play bigger book in our goodie bag. I read it on the plane and like my friend above reference, I completely stopped myself to start strategizing uh, what uh, something I'm involved in now, which is, is a massive new business and we're defining, defining a new category. I didn't realize it, but that is what we're doing. That's what we need to specifically do. So three days later, I had the book out on my desk right here in the studio, using it as a workbook for this new business plan and got an email right then from an agent asking about interest in interviewing Christopher on the play bigger book. I said, of course, are you kidding me? I have the book out on my desk and yes, absolutely. About 30 days later, uh, well, I connected with Christopher then told him that testimony. And about 30 days later, I had a two hour conversation with him, really a consultation with Christopher getting his help with category design on this business. Now I get to call him friend. So, uh, stop what you're doing get ready to take notes and also please go buy play bigger 
immediately and subscribe to Christopher's incredible podcast, Legends and Losers. Uh, you can connect with him at legendsandlosers.com. So three quick requests, though, before we get started. Uh, we love having great advertisers support our show that have products and services that are of great benefit to you. But in order to continue doing that, we need your help. And Hey, I know nothing's more precious than your time, but we at Ziegler have a request. Would you please help us and go to podsurveycom slash Ziegler and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you a little better. Even if you've taken our show's podcast listener survey before, the current one is new and different and gives us more relevant information. Bottom line. Again, it's podsurvey.com slash Ziggler. Uh, and then if you've got questions on this show, as we talk, send them to us at ask at zigshow.com, or you can submit them at ask.zigshow.com. And as always, if you get value, please let us know uh, by giving us a rating and a review in iTunes. All right, folks. So Ziegler family CEO, Mark Timms and I now bring you Christopher Lockhead so you can start playing bigger. All right. Well, Christopher, I, I often don't have a lot of history with our guests, so it's great having you here after having gotten to know you a bit and benefited personally from your expertise. So thank you. Thank you, Kevin. It is an absolute thrill for me to be on the Ziegler show with you. <laughs> well, and we're going to hear about, about that. Though The first thing I wanted to know, I wanted to lead off by knowing how was your latest surf session and how is poo-poo? <laughs> well, hey, thanks for asking. Uh, you know, unfortunately, it's been about maybe a week and a half since I surfed. Um, I know some people may think of surfing as a, as a summer sport, but the swells in, um, in Northern California are generally bigger in the winter. So I haven't surfed a ton lately, although my last session was awesome. And uh, do you want the full poo-poo update? Uh, just a short poo-poo update. I saw one on Facebook the other day and I'm dramatically envious of the garden. Thank you. So I, my wife is incredible. She's Italian. And so we have a garden and it's a, it's a no joke garden. And we have uh, uh, six hens who are our, uh, our daughters, so to speak. Um, and, and they're wonderful. Anyway, the pecking order is a very real thing. And so what's going on here is poo-poo is the bottom of the pecking order. And the girls lay eggs almost every day. And there are these things called nesting boxes that you kind of teach them to go lay their eggs in kind of, and they want some privacy, like, you know, you and I, when we want to go to the washroom, for example. So the net of it is poor old poo poo has been getting beaten up in the nesting boxes by the other girls. Cause she's a low girl on the totem pole. So about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, we lose poo poo for two hours and we are losing our minds thinking did a hawk get her and we're calling and it's just, it's horrible because we love them there. You know, think about any dog or cat that you've ever loved. That's our relationship with these, with these hens. So anyway, long story longer, poo poo built a nest. She dug a hole and built a nest in, we have these raised beds where the tomatoes are. And so to get away from the other girls and to find a private place to lay her eggs, she dug a nest into one of these uh, tomato boxes. And even though we were yelling and calling for her because she was making her egg, she didn't respond back. And so that's where poo-poo is. And ever since, Kev, 
that's where Poopoo makes her eggs. All right, all right. <laughs> well, I was I was on your Facebook page, and, and then I saw the the headline today. We're going to talk about uh, or something in regards to where's Poopoo. When a guy of your acumen uh, cites something like that, I, like, I got to go listen to this and see <laughs> and see what's happened. So I wanted to ask. Well, hey, you, you might be a, you might be sorry for asking, but there it is. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, hey, as you started to talk to Mark and uh, me about your own Ziggler story, and I stopped you because I want everybody to hear. Tell us your background on Zig. So, uh, first of all, my relationship with Zig is he's my uncle. Uh, Zig has no relationship with me. I want to be clear about that. I never actually met him, but I feel like he's my uncle. And the reason I feel that way, uh, guys, is you know I'm, I'm someone who got thrown out of school at 18. Uh, I found out at 21 I was dyslexic, and so my education made sense to me. But like a lot of young people who get started in business early, I started you know my first company at 18. I had to learn by seeking out mentors, by reading, and by doing, because I had no experience, no money, no relationships, no, no nothing. And when it became clear to me I needed to learn how to sell, you know, I couldn't afford to necessarily go take a highfalutin seminar or something like that. And I was a young man. And so I bought, and you guys will have to help me. Secrets of Closing the Sale. I bought that one. Did that have a red cover originally? That would see you at the top. And I bought see you at the top. And I can't remember which order. Oh, there we yes. go. What do you got? Yeah, there you see? go. Secret see, red. that there has a red cover. <laughs> so I read that. I started reading that stuff. And um, because I was a traveling sales guy, a driving sales guy, um, I, I started to get into the tapes. And that's where, you know, Zig's voice, like you would know, you, I, I don't have to be told it's Zig Ziglar to know that it's Zig Ziglar. And, and so, you know, and I grew up in Eastern Canada. And so just imagine being in your early 20s, trying to learn how to sell, driving around, trying to sell, in my case, software in snowstorms and, you know, driving overnight to make the sales call at 8 a.m. the next morning or whatever the case would be, all that stuff. And uh, in the car with me was, was, was Zig. That is uh, how many world leaders do we have today? And that's their story. Uh, he was in the car. How many different tapes did we have to buy to replace the old cassette tapes? And uh, it's, it's, and a, I love those, that packaging you guys used to have, you know, and it kind of, it opened up like a book, but it was real yeah. big, you know, it was uh -huh. like a, I don't know how, how many inches would those have been Mark? Oh yeah. Though, no, they're, they're like whole portfolio size. Yeah. And if you really got like how to stay motivated, it, it was two sided. So it'd have 12 cassette tapes. Yep. Yeah. So, and, and, and I used to have that stuff sitting on the passenger seat and there'd be, they'd be stacked on top of each other. Right. The only thing is it was really hard if you had to fly, it was really like <laughs> get them in a briefcase and stuff. Man, that, that, that is awesome. Well, man, I want to start off with your uh, question on your podcast. Your podcast is titled legends and losers, but you clarify this in your Facebook page. And I actually did not notice it till recently. And you say you can't be a legend without being a loser. That's not the spin that I very first thought of. So tell us about that statement. Well, I'd I, I, I love to. Uh, we recently had a three-time Super Bowl champion with the four, San Francisco 49ers turned legendary venture capitalist Brent Jones on Legends and Losers. And uh, as we're talking, he's just talking about how many failures he's had and how... Uh, so, for example... Um, he, he gets drafted into the NFL and he has a horrible car accident shortly thereafter. He gets drafted by the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. They uh, end up releasing him. He gets picked up by the Niners and he is the eighth tight end. 
going to training camp. And he said, most people would tell you, don't even go. And he said, I went to that training camp and I didn't drop a pass for months. I made Bill Walsh put me in that game. And he tells story after story after story like that. And so the reason the show's called Legends and Losers, Kevin, is every legend was and continues to be a loser, right? Because we learn by losing. Well, you- yeah, I love that. I'm, I appreciate you, you know, elaborating a little more on that because, uh, you know, Mr. Ziegler, one of his favorite, you know, things that he said over and over is nobody drowns by falling in the water. They only drown by staying in. <laughs> I have not you heard know? that and, one. And we all fall in water. It's just oh, God. Stay in it and drown. You know, and, and the legends are the ones that get up and they know they're going to fall in over and over, but they get up, they get up, they get up, they get up, and then they become a legend. That, that's right. And the other thing is um, we live in a world where we celebrate success, but when you hear a lot of dialogues with, with successful people, A, they don't really talk about that, uh, certainly not very much. And B, the impression certainly that I can get, I don't know if you guys get this impression sometime, but if you see some super successful person being interviewed, is that, well, you know, they just have this organ next to their kidney called, you know, legendary at basketball or legendary at business or whatever it is. And I don't seem to have that organ. And so, well, they're an awesome person. I kind of want to just go over here and kill myself because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't relate to them because we have them on this pedestal. Right. And yeah. so when you have, you know, by way of example of Brent Jones say, listen, let me tell you about how insecure I felt or, or how hard he had to work to become a venture capitalist because the venture capitalists in Silicon Valley wouldn't take him seriously because they thought he was a meathead, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You realize, well, Hey, it wasn't just champagne and roses and, and fairy tales for to become a three-time Super Bowl champion and have an amazing business career. And, and so I guess my point in all that, uh, Kevin, is we wanted to create a platform for authentic dialogue about what it takes to design a legendary business and a legendary life. And the truth is it takes a lot of, as we like to say, losery along the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, on that note, I mean, you have retired at a relatively young age and are now devoting yourself to entrepreneurs. And I know that you do that for a specific uh, problem that you see. And I want you to clarify what is that primary thing that you want entrepreneurs today to hear? So, um, yes, I've dedicated, you know, the back half of my life to trying to make a difference for entrepreneurs. Um, We're at an all time low in American entrepreneurship. Um, which is a stunning thing. More companies die in our country every year than are, than are, than are created. And so I'm somebody for whom, you know, Mark, entrepreneurship is not a theoretical library, you know, discussion. I'm somebody who, uh, like a lot of entrepreneurs, had nothing, no opportunity, no education, no money, no relationships, no nothing. And entrepreneurship for me, I'm what you might think of as a small E entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship was not a way up for me like it is for some. Entrepreneurship was a way out. And so I, I want to do my part because I think if you've been lucky in life, then it, it, it behooves you to try to make a difference, right? And Zig talks a lot about that. His core values are very, very clear from the second you press play the first time. Anyway, so for me, giving back to entrepreneurs is a huge thing and trying to stoke entrepreneurship uh, is a huge thing. And um, 
my primary sort of, if you will, uh, dialogue that I, I would like to engage in with entrepreneurs around the world is this notion of category design and how designing your own category can actually help create um, uh, an unfair competitive advantage in your business. Okay. Well, perfect segue. Cause I want to hit the book where, and, uh, those of you who happen to see the video, there it is, uh, the book that you now need to go purchase yourself, uh, play bigger. The tagline is how pirates, dreamers, and innovators create and dominate markets. And the first sentence on the inside cover says, and, and I'm reading right out of there. Winning today isn't about beating the competition at the old game. It's about inventing a whole new game defining a new market category, developing it and dominating over time. You can't build a legendary company without building a legendary category. If you think that having the best product is all it takes to win, you're going to lose. So right from there, you use a lot of stories and analogies that I am, 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 am dwelling on constantly as I'm building my own things, but you use analogies with Facebook and Google and Salesforce and Uber and other giant killers. And you play at a high level, uh, just like Mark does. But here at the Ziggler show, we also have a lot of coaches and consultants and realtors and independent contractors and solopreneurs and mom and pop shops, small business people in the service industry, small businesses with 10 to 50 people. So for them, I know that, you know, this message is applicable, but I don't want them to miss this and think this is for the next Facebook or Google. How do they take this and implement it? So, um, Category design is as applicable for uh, entrepreneurs who want to be the next uh, Mark Zuckerberg or solopreneurs who just want to have a great part-time gig that they're super stoked about and they can make a difference in the world for their clients. And and, uh, as George Bush said, put food on their family. (laughs) Um, And so the the concept scales. And so I can share a quick story with you if you like. Um, Yeah? Yes. Yes. So uh, this is a, a, an industry with, you know, uh, millions of folks in it, uh, real estate, realty. So a dear friend of mine, his name's Tim Rode, and he um, has a very similar background to mine. And um, he ultimately ended up in real estate. And he thought, well, how am I going to get business? How am I going to differentiate myself? And so at the time, and I think it's still the case, I'm not an expert on the real estate industry, but at the time, the sort of thinking was as a realtor, how you should be successful is you kind of get all your business cards made up and you go kind of door to door and you hang out in your community. And you you make friends with everybody and you, you tell them, hey, listen, if you're thinking about, you know, listing your house, give me a call. And even if you're not, you know, I'll come over, we can do a free evaluation and tell you all this stuff. And so there's all this sort of uh, thinking in the industry at the time that the way to be successful is to go out and network and do a giant cuddle cuddle and do these free things. And, and hopefully that will lead to listings. So Timmy says, um, to put it politely, I'm not doing that. (laughs) So the first decision he makes is he wants to differentiate himself on the level of seriousness of the buyer. That's the first of the seller, excuse me. And and so A, I want to focus on sellers and B, I want to focus on serious sellers. So he creates a whole new paradigm in how in Manteca, California, you evaluate realtors with one point of view. And his point of view is expressed in a tagline that goes like this, call Tim Road and start packing. Ah, nice. And he starts to do all this outrageous advertising 
where, uh, you know, he, he bungee jumps in a suit with a briefcase and he, you know, has his, has his spiel. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping at the chance to list your house. And he jumps off the, the side of this bridge. And as he's flying off the side of the bridge on the bungee cord, he screams, call Tim Road and start packing. And so what he does is he makes a conscious decision to differentiate himself. He wants people who are listing their homes and he wants serious people. And then he creates a powerful and provocative point of view. And as a result, he, and I'm going to use these words on purpose, conditions the market in Manteca, California, to think very differently about the criteria by which they select a realtor. So he is the list your house and start packing guy. And he creates a new category of realtor. And when people are interested in the free evaluation and they call and do all the nicey nice, he goes, Oh, let me, let me send you to, um, you know, uh, Fred Jones. And he just, he, he, he takes his number one competition and he bombards them with mediocre leads. And so by focusing on a micro niche and evangelizing that niche with a provocative, engaging point of view, he redesigns the criteria of realtor in Manteca, California. Gentlemen, he was with Century 21. He went on to become the number one realtor in the country with that strategy. Wow. 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 Yeah, significant. Well, so right on that is, you know, in, in the book, you write too many good companies with good products fail to make a dent in the universe because they can't find their place in the universe. And to, so they have to take realtors then, which we all know, you know, realtors, uh, I love, I love the profession. I love you guys, but we all know they're a bit of a dime. It doesn't, anybody can get their license and then figuring out who is the guy who just got his license, doesn't know what he's doing. And who is the guy like that who can absolutely serve me well is difficult. So here, here we are, just as you said, many good companies with good products, realtors in this sense, uh, they can do a good job, but it is hard to make that dent. And you're saying that you have got to, uh, the, the easy word was you just got to differentiate yourself. Yeah. And it goes beyond maybe what some people might think of as differentiation. So let me take a step back if I could for a sec, Kev. Please. Most entrepreneurs, most salespeople, most solopreneurs, most business people of any kind make an unconscious, unquestioned, uninformed choice to compete in an existing market. And it makes sense on its face because you say, well, it's Al Capone, right? Why do you rob banks? That's where the money is. So if you want to market yourself, you want to sell your products and services, you would sell them into a market that exists, right? So I open a pizza restaurant because people get pizza restaurant. I don't open a floppo restaurant because nobody knows what floppo is, right? No demand for floppo, right? So, and then the strategy that we all get taught in, whether we realize it or not, is position yourself or your company or your brand or your product or service in an existing market and compete for market share with a better strategy. We're better, we're faster, we're cheaper, we're better, we're shorter, we're taller, we're longer, we're whatever it is, right? But here's the thing. That leads to failure. Less than 2% of startups are ever worth anything. And we know, thanks to uh, my friend um, Ray Wong at Constellation Research, who wrote an amazing book called Disrupting Digital Business, that in the last 15 years, more than 50% of the Fortune 500 are not in the Fortune 500. And so I'm going to say something outrageous. 
attacking an existing market is like lighting money on fire. When you unpack what the legends have done over time, they want to be compared to no one. They want everyone to be compared to them. They want to own their own prime real estate in the mind of the market. They want the world to think about a problem and a solution in exactly the same way that they do. They want to condition the market to think that this problem really matters and is worthy of investment and attention. They do what Henry Ford did. They do what Steve Jobs did. They do what Larry Ellison did. They do what Sarah Blakely at Spanx did. And they do what Zig Ziglar did because Zig Ziglar was a category designer. He created a new category of sales educator, motivational speaker. He used modern technology at the time to do that. And he was a, he was a pioneer in it. And so he designed this, you know, today, motivational speakers, sales speakers, coaches, et cetera, are a dime a dozen, but there were not very many people doing it. And there was nobody that did it, that got the magic, what we call prosecuted the magic triangle. They got product, company, and category right. And Zig is a great example of an intuitive category designer. He knew that he had to educate the world as to why they needed this kind of information and education. And once the world got what he was about, that is to say the problem he was solving, they wanted the solution. As a matter of fact, they continue to suck the solution out of the company today, don't they, Mark? <laughs> yeah, they do. And, and one of the things that uh, he created was the concept of Automobile University. And it created this this place and time that millions of people had this space and time they needed to fill. And he said, fill it with me over and over and over again. And he also said, listen to it 16 times. Now, why 16? Nobody really knows, but it sounded like a really good number, but people bought in and they listened to it 16 times. And after 16 times, they got it. And so, you know, you're right. That's a great example. And so, you know, just you just think about the mastery of the term automobile university. What Zig is doing is he's using a concept we try to unpack in the book that all natural uh, legendary category designers have used, which is we call them Frodo's for short to be kind of fun from twos. We want to move the world from where it is today to where we want it to be. Right. And so when he says automobile university, He's, he's using a point of view to drive a Frodo. Said in another way, he's telling us how he wants us to think. And as my dear friend Bix Bixen says, most people and most companies are living inside of other people's thinking. And uh, uh, Zig is famous, and you'll excuse me guys for getting, you know, some of his phrasing maybe a little off, but like, Talking about that what you put into your brain is what you get out of your life. How, how does he phrase it, Mark? He, his, his big thing was you can change who you are and where you are by changing one thing in your life, by changing what you put into your mind. Change what you put in your mind, and you can change who you are and where you are. And, and, and I thought he used to say something like the, the quality of your life is a function of the quality of what you put in your mind or a quality of your – wasn't there, there – there's, he probably he, he said lots of stuff of about it. this. At least <laughs> yeah. I remember that he did, yep, right? He did. Yep. And so my, my point is, 
what he's doing is he's conditioning the world, or in this case, his category at the time, salespeople and high business performers or people who want to be high business performers to think the way he wants us to. Right. And so what do we do? We go, you know what? Zig's right. I just drive around in the car, listen to nothing or lousy music on the radar road. And this is downtime. I could be educating myself. And then of course, the first person and or company to expose us to a problem, the way the human brain works is must be or must have the solution. So when Zig says automobile university, what he's doing is he's framing a problem. This is downtime. He must be the solution. So I don't then go out and go, oh, let's go look for, you know, Fred Jones sales motivation education tapes for my car. No, I, he's right. I, these are the tapes. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. I, and, I, and I don't want people, folks who are listening here, his Frodo from uh, from and to is significant. I, of course, have gone through the book. Uh, my wife chides me. I never finished a book. I actually read this cover to cover. And uh, I did the exercise, the, the Frodo, and had a session uh, with uh, Christopher. And that alone is significant. I'm, I'm going to move people from what to what. That right there is, is, is dramatic. Now, and a big point right on this topic, since we're on it, Christopher, a big point that you make that is uh, so contrarian, at least to me, but I think to most people in business, is specifically not saying your product or service or message or category is better. It's just different. And one of my favorite stories in the book is uh, your story about Uber. And I've become a fan of Uber and Lyft uh, for getting anywhere when I'm traveling. I don't think I'll ever use a taxi or anything else. Again, I love those things. And it's very hard for me as the, as the user to not say, Oh my gosh, it's so much better. But it's part of your point in that. And this is a legit literal question for me is part of your point that we, as the purveyor, as the inventor of XYZ product or service, we don't say it's better. We say it's different and we create that. Uh, and probably the marketplace is going to say whether we're better or not, if we're successful, is that true? Friends, this is a big point that Christopher is going to make next. And I want to remind you, you can send questions that it brings up right to us at ask.zigshow.com or email us at ask at zigshow.com. And I want to take a quick pause to share two great services that are bringing this show to you. FreshBooks, to all of the freelancers listening right now, and I know we have a lot in the Ziegler audience, if you could reclaim up to 192 hours a year of your precious time, would you? Well, of course you would. If you're doing the math, 192 hours could save you two working days per month. Who wouldn't benefit from an extra two days a month? So our friends at FreshBooks make ridiculously easy cloud accounting software for freelancers. By simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. If that's not enough incentive, the FreshBooks platform has been rebuilt from the ground up. They've taken simplicity and speed to an entirely new level and added powerful new features. If you're not using FreshBooks yet, now would be a great time to try because FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for all Ziggler listeners. No credit card required. All you do is go to freshbooks.com slash Ziggler and enter the Ziggler show, inspiring your true performance in the, how did you hear about us section? Again, that's freshbooks.com slash Ziggler. 
Jumpstart your business with PayPal Working Capital. There's no credit check or personal guarantee required, and it does not affect your credit score. Plus, you can say goodbye to periodic interest. All you pay is one affordable fixed fee. Then you automatically repay with a percentage of your sales, which are deducted at the time of each sale. Because PayPal Working Capital understands that running a business is a complex and time-consuming activity that requires a lot of capital up front, they are offering you the opportunity to give your cash flow a boost with a $5,000 business loan. For a limited time, you can accept $50,000 in payments with PayPal and get pre-selected for a $5,000 business loan. No credit check or personal guarantee required. To participate, simply sign up for a PayPal business account and start accepting payments within 60 days. Process at least $50,000 in payments and apply for PayPal working capital within 240 days. Then if approved, your funds will be deposited into your PayPal account automatically. So visit paypal.com slash Ziggler to learn more. Additional terms and conditions apply to the five to 50 promotion. Please visit again, paypal.com slash Ziggler for more information. So it's okay for the consumer to say it's better. That's okay. But we, we need them to get the difference. It's better for you because you get the difference. So this is a subtle but very important thing. Okay. So when we compete on better, the un, often in life, the unspoken is louder than the spoken, yes? Mm-hmm. Yep. So when we compete on better, the unspoken is the category king in the market today. Mm. This is why Pepsi will never, ever catch Coke. And I don't know why the world hasn't learned category king uh, dynamics just from that one example. But when, look, Richard Nixon's a great example. When Nixon says, I am not a crook, all of America thinks, holy, but the president's a crook. Right. Because the 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 unspoken speaks more loudly than the spoken. And so my point is, when we say, hey, we're cheaper than the competition, we're faster, we'll, we'll, we'll get it to your house. In, 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 you know, it's not six minute abs, it's five minute abs. The point of reference every time is the company that currently designed and dominated the category. I'll give you a great example. I love this example. You guys football fans at all? Sure. So you know how the uh, Microsoft has spent a zillion dollars sponsoring the NFL football games to promote their Microsoft Surface product? Mm-hmm. And this is their product that competes against the iPad, right? Right. Now, Apple and Jobs category designed the category of tablet and the category king of iPad. We can, with iPad, we can talk about why if you want. But that's what's going on. Because when I say tablet, what pops up in most people's mind is iPad. iPad. Yeah. iPad. Yeah. Which, you so know what? No, you don't have to tell a story. That's why everybody has to go get the book and read it because I know the story. I read the book and I'm benefiting. <laughs> no, this story from it. is not in the book. No. This is my, this is my NFL story. I love Oh, no, so, no. The iPad. The iPad. Oh, yeah. Story. The iPad story yeah. is absolutely in the book. Yeah. But so here's what happens on, on, on one of the broadcasts. Um, there's some problem with the uh, Microsoft surfaces. And you know how they do sort of the finger thing where they sort of do the X's and O's and sort of John Madden out what happened in the play and this and that. So the guys can't do that because the surface pros aren't working, right? So I forget who the announcer was, but one of the announcers, Mark says, uh, well, uh, we can't seem to get these uh, uh, working here. Uh, it seems like, Jim, that these uh, Microsoft Surface Pro iPads are down. Wow. <laughs> wow. 
So when we compete on better, that's what happens. We are comparing ourselves to the category king. They are what's present, not us. So that is better. That's a comparison. When we say we're different, the other guy or the other category is a leaping off point. I'll give you a simple example. My favorite rock band is the punk rock band, the Ramones. They came out in the early 70s. These were four guys who could barely get out of cord. And man, they sounded like a bunch of garbage in the garage, right? Now, when they started playing, everybody said that. You guys sound like a bunch of morons who can barely play your instruments. And this is kind of garbage in the garage. And at the time, if you remember in rock and roll music, what was popular was you know, much more technical music. Peter Frampton and Led Zeppelin and you know, really incredible musicians who knew how to play and long elaborate songs and Pink Floyd and the like, right? Two minute songs, two chords, one, two, three, four, bang, 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 done, right? The Ramones said, well, we don't suck. That's where you're wrong. We're different. You can't compare us to Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd. We're a new category called punk rock. We stand for something else. And they literally said to the world, you have to change the way you listen to music to understand who we are. And you know what? They did. And the rest is history. They created a whole new genre of music called punk rock. And that's what every legendary artist has done. The reason you know who Pablo Picasso is and you don't know who Jim Schwartz is, the 47th cubist artist in the world who I made up, um, is because the greatest design Pablo Picasso ever created was a new category of art called cubism, right? He wasn't Renaissance art. He wasn't any other form of art. But when you go from painting beautiful landscapes and flowers and birdies and whatever to crazy colors with these cubes and you take the boob and stick it where the eye used to be and vice versa and people go, this looks like the work of a drunken four-year-old. And he says, no, that's where you're wrong. There's a whole new genre of art called cubism and you need to change your definition of art for you to get what this is. And he becomes arguably the most famous artist in the modern era. And so my point is, when you truly get underneath what the most legendary innovators of all time have done, they did not compare themselves to what came before. They consciously told the world how they wanted the world to think about them and specifically a problem and a solution. And as such, they moved the world from whatever their definition of the thing was at the time to the innovator's definition. And that's not any form of marketing that most people call marketing. That's called teaching the world how to think about something. And yes, of course, in the case of Zig, when he says, you know, you got a whole new kind of university here in the car. <laughs> you go, well, of course, I'm going to fill the, 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 the driving uh, university with, uh, with books and education from the University of Zig. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. And I, you know, I, I can remember back in my own life, there's lots of examples of this. I grew up in Indiana and when someone would say, Hey, what would you like to drink? Someone would say, I'll take a Coke. And then they would say, well, what kind of Coke would you like? And you'd say, Oh, a root beer or a Sprite. But it literally was the category was defined as a Coke. And so they just slid in and just owned the whole soft drink category. Even if some of the brands that you were asking for weren't even theirs, 
they owned it because that was the point of reference was I'll take a Coke. And you might think Coca-Cola, but to the person in Indiana when I was growing up, it was whatever a soft drink you wanted, but you named it a Coke. Yeah. Yes. And, and there's another big aha here, which is categories create companies, not the other way around. Hmm. Categories create brands, not the other way around. So if, I'll give you a simple example. Microsoft, one of the most powerful brands in the world, right? Bill Gates, one of the greatest uh, category designers in history. They spent $10 billion on Bing. $10 billion. Wow. Microsoft brand matters because it dominates in operating systems. It dominates in office productivity suites. It dominates in email and uh, uh, corporate communication with exchange. So it's brand valuable. When you move outside of categories where it has a category king position and it competes head on in what what Steve Ballmer called a, quote, feature war in search, Google's market share and market cap goes up. And so what I would say to you is if Microsoft with a head-on we're better than them attack with a great product called Bing can't unseat a category king, what would make any of us think that we could? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, it's a, it's a huge deal. And I mean, you've changed my paradigm so significantly, but one of the things you guys are both talking about Coke in my, you know, back years of, of learning marketing, we got the message of, okay, if you can be first to market, then you can rule. And that was Coke was always used. They were first, they'll never be toppled over. And yet in this category design, you also say this, I mean, it's written out in your book, the spoils don't necessarily go to whoever first hatches the idea or business, uh, which should be a relief for a lot of people to hear, but go over that because I, I don't want people to get confused with category. King, category King means you have to be first like Coke. Cause you've got examples in the book of people who were not first and they own the category. Yeah. I mean, a great example of course is, um, is Facebook. Another great example is Google themselves. Uh, Google was not the first with the search engine. As a matter of fact, they redesigned the category. When they entered the category, it was called the portal category. Um, in the case of Facebook, there was Tribe and MySpace and, mm -hmm. and, and many, many, many others. for them. And everybody said MySpace had already rolled the category. Mm -hmm. And so here's the aha. It's not first to market. We have such an overly product-centric lens in business. We have an unchallenged uh, point of view that says the best product wins. In Silicon Valley, the, the algorithm is so the altar that we pray at that there are people who say, well, marketing is what you do when you have a lousy product. Because the product, when the, pro when the software is so awesome, it just speaks for itself and everybody has to buy it right now and give us all their money because it's so freaking awesome, right? That, that's not what happens. Products very rarely, if ever, speak for themselves. So to get to your question, Kev, it's the company that gets product, company, and category right. That is to say, um, it truly is a breakthrough product. And I don't want anybody to, if I can quote Archie Bunker, misconstrue what I'm saying. I think having a legendary product really matters. You know, we're on Zoom right now. 
I think this is a legendary product. And I think Eric and his team are incredible. And congratulations. And we love legendary products. So don't, I'm not confused about that. But today, product is not enough. And so we have to teach the, we have to do what Steve Jobs did, which is teach the world how to think about the product and put it in the context that we want it in. Look, everything we believe, whether we like it or not, we've been conditioned to believe. I'll give you a simple example. You walk into Costco today in the United States of America and you can buy a reasonable size, reasonable quality, uh, flat screen television for about $150, $180, right? I... I, I have blue eyes. I have sun- sensitive eyes to the sun. I'm outside a lot, so I need a good pair of sunglasses. I wear Maui gyms, high-end UV ray sunglasses. Do you know how much those cost? Yeah, I wear them too. What, what do they cost, Mark? 300 300 bucks. Now, if you were an alien, you just landed here from space, and you said, hey, alien, um, there's this plastic product right here that blocks UV rays, and there's this giant technological product over here that sits on the wall and talks to satellites. One of them costs 300 bucks. One of them costs 150 bucks, which one costs 300 bucks. I would bet you my net worth. Every alien says the big one, the TV costs 300 bucks, right? Yep. Yep. And so what's my point? My point is we value what we value because somebody taught us that. Legendary category designers, legendary innovators and entrepreneurs teach the world how to think about the problem and the solution they solve. And when they do, they move the world from the way it is now to the way they want it to be. It happens at the social level. I'll give you a simple example. My mom's name is Jackie. Um, I'm, I'm 49. Jackie's in her early, mid-70s. And when Jackie got her first job as a 16-year-old working in a factory in Canada for, for a summer, um, she was getting paid 50 cents an hour. And the 16-year-old boy sitting next to or standing next to her on the assembly line working in the balloon factory made 75 bucks an hour because that was the law for minimum wage in Canada. There was a different law and women legally were paid less. That was the law. So I said to my mom, I said, hey, mom, what, what, what did the world, like, what did the government, what was the, what was the, what was the social environment that made that okay? And she said, look, men provide for a family. Women just go to work. They work for a short period of time. They go home and make children. And so women are just providing for themselves and they're not building a career. Men are building a career and ultimately going to provide for a family. So therefore, men make more than women. So you start to move forward into the 60s and women stand up and say, to quote the big Lebowski, this aggression will not stand, man. And they want to move the category called minimum wage and frankly wages period from that thinking to a new thinking that goes like this. Hey, if we're doing the same stuff, we should make the same money. (laughs) And in order to do that, they develop a provocative and engaging point of view called equal pay for equal work. And they beat that drum and sing that song. And what happens is the law changes. And what goes from what was the law goes to illegal, way illegal. That's category design at the social level. That's using identifying a problem that no one else has seen 
getting real focused on solving that problem, evangelizing uh, the fact that it's, in this case, an inequity with a provocative, engaging point of view, such that the entire thinking of the Western world and therefore the laws shift. That's what legendary innovators do. Well, and in that, you say that we are now in, you guys claim in the book, we're in an era when the category king wins big and everybody else goes home. And my pondering is, so what has brought about this era? Yeah, so just to put a fine point on it, we did um, um, three quarters of a million dollars of data science research for the book. And one of the things we, we and I can explain to you how we got there if it matters, but we, we wanted to understand, one of the things we wanted to understand was what percentage of total value created in any given market, that is to say, market cap or valuation in any given category goes to the leader. And in the tech world, that's 76%. So one company gets two thirds of the economics. Now, if you start to look around more and more, quote unquote, non-tech markets are starting to look this way. So another story we tell in the book, of course, is five hour energy. It's a $2 billion category. They got, you know, around 90%. They're the category designers of it, right? No. So to get to your question, Kevin, here's why. Every market today behaves more and more like a tech market. And every day that goes by, makes every market more and more like a tech market for the simple reason that um, our ways of communicating with each other are the same ways that we spread information that this are the same ways that we spread technology. And so the fact that um, information can spread so virally today, whether it's for good or for bad, you know, you got fake news and you got awesome software that goes from nobody ever heard of it to everybody's using it. And what feels like it, you know, three weeks. <laughs> and I remember when Pinterest really hit its tipping point, it was like, boom. Right. And so those dynamics of easy distribution, easy communication um, uh, are very, very powerful. If you look at startups today, uh, AWS is a great example. Um, you and I don't need a technology infrastructure anymore. We don't have to build a data center anymore when we're going to start a company, right? We just plug into AWS. We don't have to have a single, we don't have to have a single server. We don't have to buy accounting software. We could plug into my friends at NetSuite. We don't have to buy CRM software. We can plug into my friends at Spiro or, or the category king now, mm-hmm. um, salesforce.com. And so my, my point is it's easier than ever to start a business and the technology and the communication technology it's easier for powerful new ideas about problems and therefore solutions to spread. And that's how categories get designed. And in this, in what you're talking about, um, and I may have it wrong. Uh, this is not my area of expertise, but, it, but it, it, does it hearken somewhat even to the Walmart effect? When you say the Walmart effect, what do you mean? Well, just in the essence of a king coming along and all of a sudden taking everything and, you know, pushing everybody out. I mean, there's other opportunity there, but where it comes along and when you find that yes. king. Okay. okay. Yes. But here's the part that uh, I almost have never heard talk about. Because when they talk about that Walmart effect, often what comes with it is, you know, isn't it terrible? They ran all these small businesses right. out, of the, out of town. And look, I have empathy for small businesses. That's where I started. Um, And so I'm not a fan of rolling over small businesses, but it's the customers that did it. It's not Walmart. Hmm. See, Blockbuster going bankrupt is not Netflix fault. The category moved. 
Now, they moved it, so in that context it is. But if the if look, it's the free market system, right? Mm-hmm. If the, the world agrees with you about the problem, they're going to buy your solution. And if the world doesn't agree with you about your problem, they're not going to. And so the bummer for those small businesses that got hurt by Walmart was cut the, the, the problem that Walmart solves resonates with customers. And so there were a giant set of photos that happened. And here was the mistake. Those small businesses tried to compete with Walmart in the way in which Walmart designed the category, which is primarily predicated on price and availability. And they got crushed. Now, if I said to you today, gentlemen, I know a company that is an e-commerce book company that sells physical books and is a category king and thriving. Before I knew of this company, I would have told you, you were crazy because how could you compete against Amazon? Well, there is such a company. The company is called 1-800-CEO-READ. Mm-hmm. And they are a legendary category king in a very tight little niche called business books. Yeah. <laughs> and I can explain to you why they're a category king there. But suffice it to say, they have differentiated in an incredibly powerful way. And they own a position that if you're an author like me and you need uh, a retailer who can really help you. You're going to go speak at a conference. You have all this stuff going on, people buying lots of your book, et cetera, et cetera. They partner with me and they're amazing. And the publishers love them too. And of course they partner with their customers. And so by focusing on business books and by focusing on the special needs of business book publishers, authors, and buyers, so the entire ecosystem, they create an ecosystem with them at the center. They're, they're, they're the sun and we're their planets and moons. Now, is it a giant category? Are they a multi-billion dollar publicly traded company? No, but you know what? It's a great business and they have a very defendable position against the number one category king probably on planet Earth. You know, I, I've got a question for you, Chris, and I, I don't know you know, if you address this, but we're seeing a lot where, you know, things are repeating itself. What's, what's new is old and what was old is new. So you see some categories disappear, but then you wait a couple decades and you see those categories come back. So what advice do you have for listeners that are, you know, that, that watched a category completely disappear and now they're seeing it come back? How do you keep your pulse on that? You know, because even their Walmart example, so many downtowns just completely disappeared like ghost towns. But now you'll go into small town America that has the hugest Walmart you've ever seen. And you'll see downtowns that are going crazy. And one of the things that helped bring them back was these farmers markets and these events and stuff. And all of a sudden downtown shopping in a little small town is alive and vibrant. And it came back two decades later but the people who, you know, who, who recognize it was coming back, they're the ones that are really benefiting. So what do you have to say about that cycle of categories that disappear and come back? Well, you know, of course, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? So, so I think that's just a – it tends to be a law in the universe, and it, it seems to be a law in how uh, markets evolve over time. It's like uh, the 80 col- 80s colored clothes are popular now. Like, I don't know. I thought it was terrible then. It's terrible now. <laughs> Certainly not for, you know, a man of a certain age. Let me put it to you that way. Um, so there is some cyclicality in that stuff. But 
more importantly, um, what there is to do for entrepreneurs and innovators is to wrap their brains around uh, a problem. And there's two kinds of problems. There's a problem that we know we have that for one reason or another, you as the innovator, you as the entrepreneur believe can be meaningfully reimagined. So in the case of a Lyft and an Uber, the problem called personal transportation, how do I get from point A to point B, was well understood and well solved. And they reimagine that problem in a new context called the mobile reality we live in today. And they asked a simple question, which is, how come I can't press a button on my iPhone and have somebody come get me, right? And so that was a known problem, reimagined, and as a result, a multi-billion dollar industry called ride-sharing emerges out of nothing. So that's one. Another is a, uh, a, a problem that we didn't know that we had. And this is uh, one of my favorite business stories of all time. And, um, and so uh, there's this young man who, like a lot of young men today, is into taxidermy in the 1920s. And he, oh, come on, guys. That was at least a little funny. I, no, I was, gonna, I was <laughs> raising my eyebrows. Really? Who's, who's interested in that? <laughs> I, I guess I got to go back to comedian school. I'm not, I'm not as funny. I'll never be as funny as Zig was. But uh, anyway, so his name is Clarence Birdseye, of course. And he has this amazing insight when he happens to be up in um, uh, northern North America above Canada. And he sees the native Inuit. And he notices that, um, that when they catch a fish, if they eat it now, or if they put it in a bucket of ice, and then thaw it on the fire and eat it later, it tastes pretty much the same. And so he has this insight called, what if we could flash flash freeze food? And at the time, there were only two categories of food. There was food, as in fresh food, and there was canned food. And Clarence showed up and said, and now there's a third category of food called frozen food. And interestingly enough, what he had to do to create this category was massive. He had to get DuPont to invent cellophane, to commercialize cellophane. He had to get the railways to put fridges on their cars. He had to convince uh, uh, you know, retailers to, to put the fridges in their stores. And most importantly, he had to convince the public that this new category of food solved the problem and was awesome. And the problem that he framed was, um, hey, how come we can't have fresh peas in February? Isn't that a bummer? And if you go and look at his old ads and stuff, it's, it's all around sort of thematically those kinds of things. And so he creates this massive new multi-billion dollar category that, interestingly enough, um, bird's eye foods is still the number one purveyor of in the United States. That's Yeah, that's unreal. Wow. And, and God bless Mr. Birdseye because living in the middle of the United States at 9,000 feet, it's the only way I get decent salmon. So uh, huge, huge fan right here. Well, it's, speaking of of a uh, problem you in the book, you write, you say the category King literally owns the problem it is solving. And that in many ways, the problem is the category. So again, like the exercise of, of Frodo, is that a great place for all of us, no matter if we're a realtor or whether we've got the next Facebook to start with our Frodo and what is the problem uh, that we are solving And but not, but also realizing that is, that is, as you said, that is my category. That's right. And I would argue to you, Kevin, that the biggest problem in business today is too many, prob- uh, too many solutions without a problem. 
So every entrepreneur, every salesperson, every CEO that I mean, for the most part, maybe every is an exaggeration, but almost every, forgets that um, customers don't buy drills. They buy holes. Absolutely. But all they want to talk about is how awesome the carbidingulation in their drill is. And you and I as customers say, hey, uh, tell me about the holes, eh? And so it's just a complete disconnect. And so category designers are very, very thoughtful about the language they use to drive those photos. And, and Zig was a master of, of languaging. Yeah. Look, I'll give you a, a, a simple example. Talk, talk about category design at the social level. When I was a kid, the people who lived on the streets were called winos and bums. At some point, somebody woke up and said, you know what? It's kind of a, I'll call it lousy way of talking about this. These are still human beings. And so today we call them homeless people. Well, here's what we know. A demarcation point in language creates a demarcation point in thinking, which creates a demarcation point in action. So the reason it's important for us to call them homeless people today and not winos and bums is the way we treat a homeless person is a lot different than the way we treat a bum. And so what category designers are really doing is they're using language to, to drive the Frodo's, Kevin. Right. And when we begin, when the world begins to adopt our language, that's when, you know. Okay. I got, uh, well, you know what? I've got something right on there, but I don't want to forget this um, because it's just, it hit me. I grew up with my marketing, teaching and training so much around brand. And you speak to that uh, specifically in your message and in the book that uh, category king trumps brand. And that, again, I, 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 that's, where, that's where I came from. Brand is everything. Tell us about that real quick. So I'm a former three-time public company CMO. I get to have an opinion about this, point A. <laughs> point B, I'm a huge fan of branding. Mm-hmm. And I, there's a few people in the branding world that have taught me as much about businesses as, as, as anybody And one of them, Peggy Burke, the founder of 1185 Design in Silicon Valley, who, in my opinion, is the number one brand agency in the tech world, is really the primary reason, um, I'll speak for myself, that I wrote the book. She egged me to do it for a long time. My co-authors, can they got egged by whoever else they got egged by. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so I have tremendous respect for brands. So I want all that, everything else I'm about to say is sit in that, or everything I'm about to say is sit in that context. Categories make brands, not the other way around. Kodak, legendary brand, nobody gives a crap. Xerox, legendary brand, nobody gives a crap. In 1999, Michael Dell was on the cover of every single magazine you could imagine. Now, Michael Dell couldn't get arrested in Times Square. (laughs) But man, oh man, dude, you're getting to Dell. That was a campaign. Now, so you say, well, what, what what are you really saying, Lockhead? Your brand matters to the degree to which you are the category king of a category that matters. So if I unpack Dell by way of example, in 1999, Dell was the category king of laptops. They had a very serious position in servers. I don't know if they were number one, but they had a very strong position in servers and a very strong position in storage. Fast forward to today, 
All that's still true. What changed? Mobile, the cloud, and virtualization. They, Dell is a category disaster. See, when people read Christensen's book, Innovator's Dilemma, they go, oh, you failed to innovate. That was what happened at Dell. And the unspoken is they failed to innovate great new products. Well, that's wrong. Dell products are great, and they've been very innovative. They're just in categories nobody gives a crapola about anymore. They had somebody else pulled a Frodo move on them. And they didn't pay attention because they were drunk on the revenue of their category king positions. And here's what happens. Categories only matter as long as the problem they solve matters. And when the problem changes, the solution changes. Dell has innovative products. Nobody gives a crap. It's not innovators dilemma in the way most people think about it. It's the fact that other companies are driving new category design with their photos and their point of view. And as a result, Netflix literally makes Blockbuster bankrupt. But it wasn't because Blockbuster didn't have innovative stores. It's because nobody went to stores anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you mentioned Frodo again. So in, in as we, uh, I, I keep doing this all day. It's like going to business school. But folks, I'm going to tell you, get the book, Play Bigger, and, and, and the Legends and Losers is the podcast. But I love action steps. I mean, I, we want the Ziggler Show to be a place where people can take some action. It's not just a great message. And we've given, uh, you've got a lot, but we've talked about Frodo doing that exercise from what to what. And then we just hit what problem am I solving? So I have to mention on page 72. So I got the benefit, as you know, before we met, I got to see your, uh, your buddy, Dave Peterson, who's one of the co-authors of the book. I got to see him live and speak uh, to, to a relatively small group out in San Francisco and he gave us his three questions. I wrote them down and I uh, was working on them before I even opened the book and knew they were in there. So I want to speak to, I want to just read them and let you speak to them. So the three questions, I did this before my session with you. Number one, can you explain to me like a five-year-old, what problem you're trying to solve? Number two, if your company solves this problem perfectly, what category are you in? And number three, if you win 85% of that category, what's the size of of your category potential. And I think you mentioned a minute ago that tech companies, category Kings, uh, that your stats were that they usually are going to take 76% and that you're seeing a lot of non-tech companies, uh, now start to achieve those same numbers as well. That was significant, uh, as an exercise, uh, to me. So tell us about that as a, again, as an action step. So I, I think, What's really happening here, Kevin, is um, category designers, as they work on the Frodo's, they, if you'll allow me this sort of, it may sound a little jargony, but they imagine the possible. So what they're really doing is they're saying, okay, well, uh, take, for example, um, Airbnb. Every venture capitalist in Silicon Valley said, what, what? You want to rent the floor? in your dumb apartment in San Francisco and you think like, and the liability of that, and that's not even going to be legal. And like, who would want to do that? And have you cleaned that floor lately? And like, this is the dumbest idea ever, right? Well, the reason that was the thinking was they're filtering 
a vision for the future based on a set of photos Mm -hmm. through a lens called the past. What category designers do, and this is why being very specific about the photos grounds the vision for the future you want to create, is the category designer says, well, if people thought this instead of that, what would happen? Mm -hmm. And, and it sort of starts to cascade from there. And so if you go to, if you go to Airbnb, you say, okay, well, if, if we could get the world to think that by uh, renting a couch, they would save a lot of money and they would have actually a pretty cool experience. Tagline, I might get it a little bit wrong, but it's like, uh, you know, don't don't go there, live there is sort of their mm. their point of view, right? Well, now the whole world thinks that's awesome, and I know very successful, uh, you know, people with massive financial resources say, "Ah, we never want to stay in a hotel. We always look for an Airbnb." And so my point is, um, in our book, the legendary venture capitalist at Ben Rock, Brian Roberts, says things go from non consensus to consensus fast. <laughs> And the, the venture capitalists who finally did invest in Airbnb are my friends at Sequoia Capital, and they were able to imagine the possible. They said, what if this guy, what if this guy, Brian, is right? What if we could teach the world to stop thinking about hotels and start thinking about renting rooms? And the rest, of course, is history. Well, so you just talked about consensus and that was part of something you put in the book. Part of being a category king is having the courage to be non-consensus. That feels weighty and important as we're looking at category design. Yes. Yeah. And in some ways uh, you look at anything and uh, my friend, the legendary designer, John Bielenberg taught me this which is you look at any problem, any situation whatsoever, opportunity, problem, threat, whatever. And you say, uh, what would most people do in this situation? You kind of map that out, jot that out on the whiteboard or the flip chart or what have you. And you're okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. They do X, Y, Z. Yeah. Okay. What's the exact opposite of that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Especially in the context of solving problems mm-hmm. and look, sometimes it's, it's very subtle things. So five-hour energy becomes a $2 billion product line dominated or $2 billion category dominated by one company because of a simple aha, which is just because I'm tired doesn't mean I'm thirsty. Yeah. And by creating a teeny-weeny little bottle that peps you up as opposed to a big bottle that peps you up, ba-boom. Oh, and being smart enough not to compete. The Living Essentials did not compete with Red Bull. They said, oh, that's an energy drink or an energy shot. Different thing. Not better. You have a choice, one or the other, not a comparison. That's really the fundamental difference. Don't compare me to them, but choose. But, you know, if I say to you, hey, guys, let's go out to dinner tonight. What do you feel like? Um, uh, sushi or Italian? That, that forces a choice. But if I say to you, do you guys feel like, um, uh, you know, sushi or sashimi? It's kind of in the same vein, right? You're just. You might like sashimi better or worse or whatever. You follow me? Yeah. Le- legendary category designers force a choice with their different. Hey, Chris, I got to jump in here and just say that, uh, man, I've been quiet because I got lost in listening. <laughs> and 
That was awesome. In fact, uh, I, I'm using one of the category killers here. While you've been talking, I've already subscribed to Legends and Losers and bought the book. <laughs> All from sitting right here listening to you because, man, I'm hooked. I'm engaged. And so I've been traveling nonstop. And so uh, I wasn't able to uh, to grab a copy of the book before this. Usually I do. And Kevin got me great um, great notes to go off of. And plus, I kind of wanted to be spontaneous. But man, I, I got so little margin for reading that I'm very protective of that. But I got just enough to know I got to digest every page in this book. So thank you for bringing this to the table for people like me, for the listeners here. And uh, man, this is awesome, awesome stuff. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I don't even know where to begin with that, Mark. Thank you. Uh, I'm knocked over by your comments. Um, and I, I know who I am, guys. I know I, that I, you know, that 18 year old kid was only a couple years ago. And what I want to say to you about that is there's no way I could have even ever imagined driving around, you know, Quebec and Ontario, Canada, uh, in snow and, you know, both ways uphill and all that. <laughs> Listening to Zig and think one day you guys would say those kinds of things about my work when the truth is that's how I feel about your work. And so uh, I just thank you so much. I mean, I don't even the surfers have a word. So in surfing, you guys don't surf, do you? No. So in, in surfing, like a lot of anything that makes you feel really great that you think is awesome. Uh, you know, it makes you happy or joy or, you know, words that most of us understand. There's an interesting thing that happens with surfing, which is you have the pure bliss and joy of being on the wave, you know, so you're riding this energy that has come from, in some cases, six or, or, or even more thousand miles across the world to get to this one spot. And because there can only be one surfer for, per wave, you're on that wave and that wave, that's that piece of energy and it'll be gone when it hits the shore. And so that's a magical, blissful experience. And then when you kick out of the wave and you paddle back, you're like, oh my God, that was awesome. But here's what happens. After a great surf session or even one great wave, you can feel great for many, many days. And so surfers invented a word for that. They call it being stoked mm -hmm. because it, it just lasts for so long. And so, Mark, I'm going to be stoked for the rest of the year having heard you say what you just said. Thank you well, so I, much, brother. You Thank are, you you're so very much. welcome. But I'm going to say one more thing, and that is, you know, we lost Mr. Ziegler about four years ago. But I promise you. Right now, he is looking down from above, and he is smiling at what you have done with your automobile university degree. I promise you that. Yeah, hey, I, and I gotta say, you're you're helping us further Zig Ziglar because uh, I'm using this book that's marked up uh, dramatically. I'm using it. It's a it's a workbook for everything. I've, I've kind of throttled back on everything to stop and do these. Exercise, how are we different? What is our category? I'm making myself answer these. And as we uh, lead the Ziegler charge here, it's significant. So you have, uh, you're paying it forward. I, you know, maybe it's because as you get older, you, you appreciate 
you know, you just appreciate things more or you have more experiences, but thank you guys. And, and look, here's, here's what I want to put on the table, Mark. Uh, you know, Kevin and I had, had a lot of fun um, heading, heading into this dialogue, uh, doing some, doing some uh, uh, dreaming, scheming and pirating o- o- over some ideas he's got on the table, which was great. And I'm happy to do a follow-up, Kevin, when you're ready. Okay. Uh, I would put the same thing on the table for you, Mark, you know, look, your family and, you know, my uncle Zig, <laughs> uh, just gave, gave me a lot. And uh, I am somebody, um, I'm somebody for whom I'm not confused, right? I, I'm not confused. I'm a self-made man. I try to stand on the shoulders of great people and I've had a lot of help. And, um, and Zig Ziglar was a lot of help and man, I needed a lot of help. So if I can pay that forward at all with the Ziegler family and organization today, just a little bit with play bigger and maybe doing a jam session, if, and when you guys are ready, then, uh, put me in coach. I, I I'd love to. We're, we're you consider it. Uh, I'm taking that. All right. Uh, I'm punching that ticket. You can count on it. All right. I wouldn't want to disappoint my uncle Zig. You <laughs> I love have that. it. You have it. Well, well, Christopher, man, thanks again uh, for being with us, taking your time, giving so generously of yourself. Thank you for this message. Uh, it is, uh, we brought you here because we know the audience needs it and will benefit it. So brother, thank you so much for being with us today. I love you guys. Thank you so much. You guys are an incredible inspiration. Thank you, Christopher. Well, Mark, that was, we just got to spend another 10, 15 minutes with Christopher. Uh, really significant. I love his heart. I love his, his Zig story and how significant this interview was. But yeah, I do. Everything I said in there was spot on. I am using the book as a workbook. And really, I thought, oh my gosh, you and I got to sit down and go, what's, where, where, where's our cat in the world of podcasting, you know, with the show, with what Ziggler is to do today. It's, uh, I mean, it just feels irrefutable. I mean, the stories are just rock solid and it's, that's why I wanted to bring it here. I thought this is significant. Yeah, no, it, absolutely. Kevin, I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking about, you know, he's, he's in there talking about the Zig Ziglar brand and I'm like, what, what can we do to play bigger, you know, in this space? But what I loved most about what I heard was he gave examples that we can all connect with. Mm-hmm. It's happening all around us. It's not like it's not like we have to look under rocks or go climbing up some mountain to find it on the top. It's happening all around us every day in our lives. It's happening. We just got to be more aware of it and you know of where what is happening so that we can apply it in our industry or our category or our business and i think that's what i really enjoyed was just constant examples of where this is happening every day it's been happening you know in the past it's happening now it's going to happen again and we just need to be aware of it because the more aware we are of what's happening when he talks about company product and category and about how categories create companies and categories mm-hmm. create brands you know we we got to get that we got to get that system and that formula right then we can apply it ourselves so Tons of value, things I can apply instantly, but things like you, I want to give some more thought as to how I can better apply what he has to say. So I loved yeah. it. Yeah, I, me too. It, it really, I think it, it explained things in the business world and, and just uh, in all the businesses I've been in, even in just in viewing things where companies that did well 
who I just kind of scratched my head. Man, it seems like they violated some things that I've been taught or some other companies that did, that, that, that tanked, whether it's a small business here in my town or one of the big companies he talked about. And when he goes through this, it's just, it's kind of that, like the aha, like you talked about it. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Which again, pushed me back thinking, oh my goodness, what am I doing? Uh, am, am I doing these things that are, again, it feels so spot on and I want to be the category king, whether it's here in my town or as we, as we take on the world. Um, it, yeah, it, it's changed my paradigm as I'm thinking about work. Agree. Totally. Well, folks, thank you for tuning in. I do just uh, really advise you go, go check out the book, go check out the, the podcast. The book is play bigger. The podcast is legends and losers. And if you heard something that was interesting to you today, or you got a question on, ask us, send it in, let us know, ask.zigshow.com or ask at zigshow.com. If you want to email us and if you got value, please let us know. Give us a thanks. If you would, a high five, go to iTunes and leave us a rating or review. It helps us to serve you better and uh, gives us that encouragement that Zig says that's the fuel for everything. So thank you for being here. We will be with you in the next Ziggler show. Ziggler show.